All right, welcome everyone. It's good to see you. I'm glad that you're here. Thanks for worshiping with us, whether you're joining us in person or you're joining us online. I want to welcome all of you, and I want to say a special what's up to all you folks that are down at the uh, Church Anywhere location in the old Southside neighborhood. It's always great to welcome you to our service. If you got a Bible, wherever you are, if you got a Bible, I want you to take it and go to the Old Testament book of Numbers. And when you get the Old Testament book of Numbers, I want you to find chapter 9. We're going to spend some time together in Numbers chapter 9 this weekend. And while you're turning there, I'm just going to pile on for a second and say, if you're not a part of a group, I really would love to see that happen for you in your life. Uh, Sandy and I have been part of the same group for a long, long time, several years. And it's a great experience. We all are kind of in the same season of life. Uh, in our group. And so, you know, we've been able to share a lot of things together. Everything from aging parents, you know, you're, uh, everybody's going to get to that point, that season of life where their mom and dad, if they're still around, are going to be getting older and going to need help. And the challenges that bring, and we've been there together for each other for that. All the way to uh, just this last week, we were praying for uh, one of the uh, daughters-in-law of uh, some family in our group uh, who was having some problems with the pregnancy and gave birth to a healthy baby today, and so that was an exciting thing. And we just share life together. If you're not a part of that, I would really encourage you to, to, to change that. Change that right now, and when the service is over, we've got some folks outside the worship center who would love to answer any questions you have about being in a group and help you get connected. Last week, we began a message series called A View from the Top uh, based on selected passages in the Old Testament book of Numbers. I hope you were with us or you've been able to watch that message online because I, I spent a little bit extra time in the introduction of that message giving you some background on the Old Testament book of Numbers. So if you haven't seen it, I hope that you'll take the time to do that. All you have to do to go is to go to our website, uh, mpcc.info, or uh, our Facebook page, and you can uh, find the message there. As we begin this weekend, I want to just start by putting a verse of Scripture from the New Testament up on the screen. This is Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. And I want everyone to read this with me. Let me hear your voices. Here we go. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scripture, we might have a hope. Now, i got to apologize real quickly because I referenced the very first part of that verse last week, and I said it was from the New Testament book of Hebrews. Here's the deal, friends. I make mistakes sometimes. Do you ever make mistakes? That wasn't written in my notes. It's just something that came into my head while I was preaching, and I should know by now, after all these years, that if something's not in my notes, I should just keep my mouth shut. But I, I referenced the first part of that verse, and for some reason, even though I've known that verse for many, many years, I said it was found in Hebrews when it's actually found in Romans. Uh, this is a great verse of Scripture, a great verse of Scripture. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scripture we might have hope now like every other verse in the bible this has a contextual meaning in romans chapter 15 but at the same time it also falls in that category of scripture that i've talked to you about before and even referenced last week that we call a truism and what that means is you can take this verse out of the context in Romans chapter 15, and it remains true. It's still true. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, you and me, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scripture, we might have hope. That certainly applies to the Old Testament book of Numbers. I don't know if you'll remember this or not, but last week in the introduction, I was telling you four different reasons why we should take the time to read and study the Old Testament book of Numbers. And one of those reasons was because it was written as a warning. 
It was written as a warning. Remember the book of Numbers is the story about how God's people, the Israelites, upon being led out of Egyptian slavery, came to the edge of the promised land and refused to enter the promised land, even though God said, I'm giving this to you. They refused to enter because of their fear and their unbelief. And as a result, they spent the next 40 years of their lives wandering in the wilderness until God gave them a second chance to enter into the promised land. And so the Israelites made a lot of mistakes from the time they left Egypt until the time they entered their new home. But, and I know this is going to sound odd, the problem for the Israelites was not the fact that they made mistakes, and I say that because we all make mistakes. The problem is, maybe I would say the real problem is, they made the same mistakes over and over again. And at the top of the list with those mistakes that they made over and over again was a failure on their part, regardless of everything that they'd seen and everything that they'd experienced was a failure to trust God. That was the mistake they made over and over again. They just couldn't trust God. And here's what we need to understand about making the same mistake over and over again. And you ought to write this down and think about it. When you repeat a mistake, especially when you repeat a mistake, the same mistake over and over again, that at some point, it's not a mistake anymore, it's a decision. When you repeat the same mistake over and over again, at some point in your life, you've got to acknowledge the fact that it's not a mistake anymore. For you, now, it's become a decision. Now, that's not original to me. That's a quote that I, I read this week from a man named Paulo Coelho. But think about it for a minute. At some point, if you and I continue to make the same mistake over and over and over again, we need to acknowledge that on some level, that's not a mistake any longer. It's a decision. I don't know how that hits you, friends, but I'll be honest and tell you that that convicts me to the core of who I am. Don't you hate it when you make the same mistake over and over again, when you repeat the same mistake? I love to play golf, so this time of year is brutal because it's too cold to play golf. I try to get out of uh, central Indiana and into some warmer weather, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time in Texas over the uh, not too long from now and then again in the month of February, and so hopefully I'll get to play there. But one of the things I do to compensate for not being able to play here is that once a week I go to an indoor facility and I hit golf balls on a simulator under the eye of a great coach who watches everything that I do and tries to help me. And so it's a really good experience, except for one thing. Every single swing I make is recorded on video. And so I'm forced to watch every single swing that I make. And when I do, you know what I see? I see myself making the same mistake or the same mistakes in my golf swing over and over and over again. And there's only one way I could describe that for me, and that's torture. That's just torture for me. At some point, I just want to snap my golf club over my leg. If you've ever played golf, you can relate. But here's the deal. At the same time, there will be moments when my tempo is good, and I get my golf club in a good position, and my path is good, and I hit the ball right on the sweet spot, and the simulator gives me immediate feedback about what a great shot it was, and then I remember why I love to play golf. And what I've learned is that the key for me when it comes to playing golf is the exact same key for me when it comes to my spiritual life. You know what it is? Stop making the same mistake over and over 
and over again. I wonder if there's anybody here this weekend who can relate to that. Stop making the same mistake over and over and over again. Because at some point, when you make the same mistake over and over again, it's not a mistake any longer. It becomes a decision. And let's take that one step further. Our decisions matter because at the end of the day, you could say that our decisions make us who we are. That's one of the reasons, friends, why it's so important for us to spend so much time, as much as we can, reading and studying and knowing the truth of the Bible. Because the Bible, in a very real way, is simply a book of God's will. And I say it's a book of God's will because the Bible explains who God is, and the Bible explains how God relates to people like you and me, and the Bible explains what it is that God wants for our lives. And one of the things he wants for our lives that would be right up there at the top of the list is he wants obedience. He wants obedience. And that brings us to Numbers chapter 9. I hope you've got your Bible open there this weekend in Numbers chapter 9, and if you do and you're able, go ahead and stand with me for the reading of the Scripture. Now, our specific passage this weekend is Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 through 23. You follow along as I read. My Bible, the heading for this part of Numbers chapter 9 is simply the cloud above the tabernacle. I'm sure yours says something similar. On the day of the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony was set up. The cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. And that is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp, and then at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning, and when it lifted in the morning, they set out. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of his word. Let's just get a little background to help understand this passage a little bit better. If you were to go back, don't turn there. We'll put these words up on the screen. But if you were to go back to Exodus chapter 12, verses 31 and 32, this is what you would read. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said, and go also bless me. Now, you may be familiar with that. That is what happened right after the final plague come came upon the Egyptians. You remember the story of Moses as the great deliverer, delivering the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery. Pharaoh would not let the people go, and so plague after plague after plague came, and the final one was brutal because it, it, it uh, took the life of the firstborn son of every Egyptian family. And these verses are right after that happened. And so finally, Pharaoh got to the point where he said, go, I'm done with you. Take your people and go. Isn't it interesting at the very end of that passage, he also said to them, 
uh, bless me. He also said, bless me. And I think that was just a, a, just a brief moment for Pharaoh where he realized after he had been beaten up by God, basically, through all of these plagues, he realized that he wasn't the greatest being in the universe, that there was someone greater than him. And just to cover his bases, he said, also bless me on your way out of town. If you don't mind, give me a blessing. It didn't last. It didn't last at all. But I think that's what that was. And it's interesting that's recorded there in the scripture. Well, if you fast forward then from Exodus chapter 12, where Pharaoh said those words to Moses and Aaron, and you go to Exodus chapter 13, this is verses 20 through 22. This is where you see Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt. And this is what we read. After leaving Succoth, they encamped at Etham on the edge of the desert by day. Now note this, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And this is where it all started. This pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. This is where it started. Now, if you fast forward one more time to our text, which is Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 through 22, or 23 rather, you see that on the day the tabernacle, which remember was like kind of a portable temple that they carried with them as they traveled, that on the day the tabernacle was set up in the desert, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire continued to be present as they covered the tabernacle. Pretty incredible. Let's just pause and acknowledge what a significant thing that must have been for God's people. I mean, I'm, I'm probably like some of you. I've been raised in church my entire life from the time I was a baby in the nursery. I've been a Christian for over 50 years. And if you're like me, you know that sometimes we can read the Bible and be so familiar with it that we don't often stop to think about the majesty or the, or the, or the gravity of some of the things that we're told about or some of the things that are described or some of the events that happen, but don't you know that had to have been an incredible sight? It had to have been an incredible sight to be led by a pillar of cloud and then a pillar of fire, but it also had to have been an incredible sight to see a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire above the tabernacle. In fact, I wondered this week what that might have looked like in some illustrator's mind, and I came up with a couple of pictures of what it might have looked like. The pillar of cloud over the tabernacle by day, the pillar of fire over the tabernacle at night. Amazing. It had to have been a spectacular sight, whether the pillar was leading them or covering the tabernacle. Now, having said all of that, having set the stage for our text like that, there are a couple of things that I want you to see from our text Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 through 23. A couple of points, and then we're going to follow that up with some practical lessons. If you're someone who likes to take notes, then write down this first thing. There are two things that we need to see to understand, to really clearly understand what we read in Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 through 23. The first one is this. Write down next to number one, the presence of God. The presence of God. And I say that because it's critical we understand that the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire represented, maybe I should say manifested for the Israelites, the very presence of God in their lives, in their lives and among their lives. 
They were unmistakable, visible symbols and signs of the presence of God. Let's talk for a minute about the comfort that must have brought to the Israelites. You get up in the morning and you come out of your tent, and the first thing you see in the center of your camp is the tabernacle with either the cloud or the fire, depending on how early you got up, covering the tabernacle. How incredible that must have been, especially in light, and this is just speculation on my part, but in, especially in, the, in light of the fact that they had just ended 430 years of slavery in Egypt. And again, this is speculation, but don't you, don't you just imagine over the course of those 430 years of slavery in Egypt that there had to have been multiple generations of Israelites who cried out to God over and over again for help and relief year after year after year only to be met with silence and probably only to be met with seeing things get worse and worse and worse. And don't you imagine that had to have made them feel, at least at times, like God had abandoned them completely, that God had forgotten them and abandoned them, that he was nowhere to be found. But what we see in the scriptures, and one of the lessons we learn from their entire story, is that when the time was right, not right for them, but right for God, when the time was right, God sent Moses to lead them out of slavery into a brand new life. And now, as they experience that brand new life, to be able to see the cloud by day and the fire by night that represented the visible presence of God, don't you imagine that brought them tremendous comfort? Everybody say yes, amen to that. So a few of us believe that. I don't like it when you don't respond. I'm sure it brought them great comfort. And this was so important. And here's why I even talk about it. This was so important because God wanted the Israelites, his people, to be so confident about his presence in their lives that his presence shaped everything about their lives. Let me say that again. He wanted them to be so confident about his presence in their lives that it shaped everything about their lives. And if you know the story of the Israelites, you know that isn't something that they were good at having their lives shaped by the presence of God because, as we already talked about earlier, they made a lot of mistakes in their lives. There were a lot of missteps and a lot of bumps along the way as God led them out of Egypt to a new life in the promised land. But God wanted them to understand that they lived every single day of their lives in his presence, and he wanted that reality to be the one thing that shaped their lives, everything about their lives, his presence in their lives, to shape their lives more than anything else. And you know what, friends? God wants the exact same thing for you and me today. He wants us to wake up every morning knowing that we're gonna live out each day in his presence, and he wants us to know that. He wants us to recognize that because of all the blessing that recognizing and acknowledging his presence can bring into our lives. But there's a difference in the way we experience God's presence today and the way the Israelites experienced it in ancient days. 
For the Israelites, the emphasis was on the truth that God was with them. And that's why the cloud and the fire were so significant because they were visible manifestations of the presence of God. And every time they saw the cloud and every time they saw the fire, they knew that God was with them. For people of faith like you and me today, the emphasis is not so much on the truth that God is with us. The emphasis is on the truth that God is in us. If you're a person of faith, that God doesn't just walk with you, that he lives in you. And he lives in you through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, I hope that you know that. When you become a Christian, there are so many things that happen in your life, uh, not the least of which is the forgiveness of sin that opens a door to a relationship with God and the promise of eternal life that gives us a hope for the future beyond this sinful, fallen world. And then there's the reality that God's presence, the very presence of God, takes up residence in our lives through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We walk around every day as Christians with God alive inside of us. That's why the Apostle Paul in his New Testament writings writes so often about living by the Spirit or walking by the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit because the truth is that just because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us doesn't mean that we allow the Holy Spirit to work inside of us. Sometimes, sometimes we stifle who He is and what He wants to accomplish in our lives by living more carnal lives than spiritual lives. But this is the difference between God's people in ancient days and us today. In ancient days, the emphasis was on God being with them. The emphasis today is that God being in is, is about God being in us. And I hope that you understand that. And if you're listening to me this weekend and you don't understand that, then that probably means that you've never come to a place in your life where you have recognized your separation from God that can only be dealt with through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I would love to be able to talk with you about that sometime so you could understand the fullness of what God has for you that comes with the forgiveness of sin, the promise of eternal life, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and the certainty that your life is right with God. But when you live every day of your life aware of the presence of God. This is what God wanted for the Israelites in the Old Testament, and this is what he wants for you and me today. When you live every day of your life aware of the constant presence of God, then that awareness is going to shape your life and prepare your life to, to do and to be everything God wants you to do and everything God wants you to be. And so if you're living your life without a consciousness of God's presence, then you've got a spiritual problem. Here's the second thing I want you to see to help you understand this text. The first one is the presence of God. If you're taking notes, write down next to number two, the pace of God. The pace of God. And let's go back to thinking about this solely in terms of the Israelites. There's an application for us in this point, just like there was an application for us with the presence of God. But let's think about this first solely in terms of the Israelites. First, and here's what we see. This is what was revealed in our text that we read. Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 through 23. First, the people experienced the presence of God through the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And then, as a result of experiencing his presence, they began to live their lives at the pace of God. Experiencing the presence of God caused them to live their lives at the pace of God. And here's why I say that. If you think back to the text that we read, excuse me, Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 through 23, our text tells us that when the presence of God stayed put, it hovered above the tabernacle, the people stayed put. 
But it also told us that when the presence of God moved, it moved beyond the tabernacle. Then the people moved as well. And this was important because at this point, God is still leading them to their ultimate destination, which is the promised land. And this is what God is teaching them. He's teaching them, you don't have to move around to try to find my presence. My presence is always with you. And so what you need to do is just stay close to me. That's what God is teaching them. Let's talk about that for a minute because I think this is something that we struggle with sometimes in our lives. I know that there have been times in my life where I have made a decision about the direction of my life, and then I've basically said, God, I'd like it if you came along with me. Anybody here guilty of that? This is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to go. This is my plan, and I'd appreciate it, God, if you would follow along and participate. Now, there haven't been times when I was doing something crazy or I was doing something selfish like pursuing some kind of personal gain or anything close to that. In fact, I could argue that it's just the opposite, that these were times when I was oftentimes trying to do something good for God. But the bottom line is I was coming up with my own plan, or maybe I should say I was coming up with my own direction and then asking God to join me. I'm probably not the only person here guilty of that. And that kind of plan is not what we see in our text. What we see in our text is God teaching the Israelites, you don't ask me to follow you, you need to follow me. I've told you before that when I read my Bible, there are certain things that I look for. When I read my Bible for the purpose of really studying it and really trying to understand it, Whatever scripture I'm looking at, whatever passage I'm looking at, when I really want to understand it, when I really want to take it apart and learn it so that I can teach it to somebody else, there are certain things that I look for. And one of the things that I look for are, are words or phrases that are repeated over and over and over again. And I find that in our text. I find that in Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 through 23, because if you look at it, and I don't, it might be a little bit different in your translation of the Bible if you're not reading the same translation that I am, but when I look at my 1984 New International Version Bible, I find six separate times in that text, Numbers 9, 15 through 23, where some version of these words are written at the Lord's command, at his command. If I look in my Bible, and you can't see it, but I underlined it or highlighted it with a yellow highlighter in my Bible, verse 18 says, at the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. You go down to verse um, 20, it says, at the Lord's command, they would encamp, and then at his command, they would set out. You go down to verse 23, and it says, at the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. At the Lord's command. This is the instruction of the scripture. It's not, hey, God, this is what I want to do. This is where I'm going. Come follow me. It's God. Where do you want me to go? Just give me the command, however it might come. Because I understand that what I need to do more than anything else is I need to make it my habit to always follow you. This is how our lives are to be lived at the Lord's command. And I've had people come to me for counseling who are mad at God because God wasn't a part of something that they were doing on their own. 
not something that he commanded them to do, not something that he was leading them to do, but something that they decided to do with the hope that God would somehow come along. And friends, according to the scriptures, that's not how it works. When we do what we're supposed to do, we follow the pace of God. When we live in the presence of God, we follow the pace of God. We don't make decisions and then invite God to come along with us. We let the presence of God prompt us and lead us to always follow him. Now, having said all of that, let me just close. Those are the main points that I want us to see. This is how we understand Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 through 23. Two things. We see the presence of God. We see it in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And then we understand that God wants his presence to be so real in our lives that it shapes everything about our lives. And then the second thing we see is one of the ways it shapes us because we see the pace of God. When we live in the presence of God, then we follow the pace of God. But having said all of that, I want to give you what I think are some practical lessons about what it means to really live at the pace of God. I've got four of them, but none of them are long. We're going to do this pretty quickly. I would encourage you to write these down. Here's, here's some things we need to understand about living at the pace of God. Here's the first one I've got written down. God leads us one step at a time. God leads us one step at a time. I'm going to write that down somewhere. This is important. And what that means more than anything else is that we need patience in order to live at the pace of God. We need patience when it comes to living at the pace of God. I probably told you this before, but the very first Bible verse that I ever memorized in my life was when I was a little boy, somewhere around 9 or 10 years old. I was at church camp. I memorized it to get points for my team to try to win some, I'm sure, spectacular prize at the end of the week. And it was Psalm 119, verse 105, in the King James Version of the Bible, because that's how old I am. And that verse says, well, just read it with me. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Let's read that one more time. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, when I, when I read or I hear that voice, I literally envision a man with a lamp in his hand walking down a path. And because of the limitations of a lamp, how many steps is that lamp going to reveal? How many is it going to reveal ahead of that man? Probably just one, Right? It's not like you and me having a mag, what do they call it, a magna flashlight, you know, that's, that's about that big around, and we can look in 50 yards ahead of where we're going. It's just a lamp. It just reveals one step at a time. We might want it to reveal 10 or 20, but it just reveals one step at a time. You know why? Because that's the way God leads us oftentimes. And let me ask you this question. Why do you think it is that that's the way God leads us oftentimes? It's because, it's because God knows. Listen to me. God knows, and you know this. If you think about this in your life, you can probably think of a practical application because God knows that the benefit for us when, God, when we follow God is not usually the destination. It's usually what happens in the what? The journey. Because that's where he teaches us. And that's where he shapes us. And that's where he molds us. And that's where he reveals things in our lives that aren't right. And so if we're going to follow the pace of God, then we have to understand that oftentimes God leads us one step at a time. Here's the second thing. Write this down. Letting God lead requires our obedience whether the journey makes sense or not. Letting God lead requires obedience whether the journey makes sense or not. Now, again, and I can be guilty of this sometimes. This may be speculation on my part, but... 
I have a hard time reading the Bible and not sometimes letting my mind go in some different directions. And when I look here at our text in Numbers chapter 9, remember it's verses 15 through 23, and I get to the section down beginning in verse 20 where we really see some of the practical reality of, of when, when the, the presence of God hovered above the tabernacle, they stayed. When the presence of God moved, they moved. I read that, and I can't help get, but get the feeling that there might have been a little frustration that went into the writing. Most people believe that Moses was the author of the book of Numbers. And I say that because listen at verse 20 through verse 22. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days at the Lord's command, they would encamp, and then at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning, and when it lifted in the morning, they set out, whether by day or by night. Whenever the cloud lifted, they set out, whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year. The Israelites would remain in camp and not set out, but when it lifted, they would set out. And, and you almost feel this tension of like, we never know. We never know. Every time we stop, we never know. Am I going to be a day? Is it going to be overnight? Are we going to be here for a week? Are we going to be here for a year? We never know. And we've got to always be ready to go. I'm sure there are many times when it didn't make sense to the Israelites when the, when the presence of God moved, whether it was by cloud or by fire. I'm sure there are times when it didn't make sense to them. But God's guidance, how many of you know, God's guidance can sometimes be that way in our lives. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, at least not to us. Sometimes he keeps us moving when we want to stop. And sometimes we're stop, we stop and we get to a place in our lives where we're happy and we're satisfied and we're content and we think life can't get any better and all of a sudden he moves us again. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense. And we can think, what are you doing, God? What are you doing? What's the end game in this? But God says, what I'm doing is I'm leading you. What I'm doing is I'm reminding you that your first, your first desire needs to always be to follow me, to obey me. And we do that when we understand that God's wisdom is greater than ours. You know, oftentimes people say, what's your favorite Bible verse? I've been in several settings where somebody says, what your, what's your favorite Bible verse? I don't think I've ever been in a setting where there are multiple people involved when the question, what's your favorite Bible verse, came up, when somebody didn't say Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, or Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And why wouldn't they be? They're great verses. Look at this one. Read it with me. Let me hear your voices. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And, of course, verse 6 says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That's Wow, who would not love those verses? But think about this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God's wisdom is greater than yours? Then that means that we have to follow him even when it doesn't make sense. Here's the third thing. God's leading will sometimes change according to the need of the moment. Write that down. God's leading will sometimes change according to the need of the moment. And here's why I say that, because you go back and think about our text again. Our text tells us that during the day, the people saw the presence of God above the tabernacle, covering the tabernacle in a cloud. But at night, when the cloud wasn't visible, they saw the presence of God covering the tabernacle in fire. And so, in real simple terms, that tells us that God had one way of showing himself to the Israelites during the day, and he had a completely different way of showing himself to the Israelites at night. And here's what we can learn from that. 
while God's presence is always with us, and so God's guidance is always present in our lives, the way he guides us, the way he chooses to reveal his guidance can change from moment to moment. And all that means on the most practical level is this. It means that God may not move you in your life in the same way he moves someone else. He may not lead you where he wants you to be in your life in the same way that he leads someone else. And God might not lead you to where he wants you to be in your life the same way he led you in the past. So you have to pay attention. You have to make sure your first priority is the pursuit of God's presence in your life so that that sets the pace for your life however his leading may come. And that sets us up perfectly for the fourth and final thing that I want to tell you. And that's this. God's leading is always, everyone say always, always the result of staying close to him. His leading is always the result of staying close to him. And you know what that means on a practical level? That means if you ever get to a place in your life where you you say, God, I, I just, I don't know what to do. I'm completely lost. I have no idea what my next step should be then maybe that's your first sign that you've wandered from the presence of God in your life because it's the presence of God in our lives that sets the pace for our lives. The text tells us that the cloud and the fire represented his presence. They weren't symbols. They were manifestations, visible manifestations of the truth that God was with them. And so whenever the cloud or fire hovered above the tabernacle, they stayed put. And whenever the cloud or the fire moved, they moved. And that tells us in simplest terms that following God is not just a matter of geography. It's not about whether you go north or south or east or west. It's about making it your daily priority to live in the presence of God. So let me just close like this and the team can come for one final song. Where is your life with God today? Where is your life right now with God today? I'll ask that to all you who are joining us online. Where is your life with God today? Are you living in his presence? Are you going on your own journey, your own way? Have you wandered from your faith or is your faith your first priority in your life? I love these words from Psalm 48 and verse 14. You can see them on the screen. The psalmist says, for this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. Can you say those words with integrity today? That this God is my God forever and ever. And he's going to be my God even to the very end of my journey, whatever that looks like. See, here's God's view from the top. Remember, that's the title of this series. Here's God's view from the top. God wants to guide and direct your life. And the only way to discern his guidance in your life is to make sure you're pursuing his presence every day of your life. I want you to pray with me. Thanks, Lord, for the time to share from the scripture this weekend. And I pray you'll take these words and really speak to our hearts. This is so practical and so important. I mean, these two points, the presence of God and the pace of God. The presence of God has to be a priority in our life because the presence of God in our life shapes our lives. And the presence of God that shapes our life leads us to follow 
the pace of life that you have for us, not to be on our own, but to follow you and your leading. I pray that's the reality for all of our lives, everyone here in person, everyone joining online. And if someone is listening to me right now who doesn't understand that, who doesn't, who, 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 who feels compelled to that truth, but doesn't know exactly what that means for them in their life, I pray they'll reach out to someone at the end of the service who'll be down front for prayer or to their service host online or to their service host at church anywhere in the old south side. Lord, I pray that we would make your presence the priority of our life and that we would let your presence direct the pace of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand together and sing.